for Shreveport, Louisiana. I basically stayed in every neighborhood because, you know, my mom was like, you remember that show used to come on, uh, The Jeffersons? Mm -hmm. You know, you're moving on up. Mm -hmm. You know, she was always moving up. We was always, but majority of my life, I lived in Country Club on Merwin Street. Um, I went to Judson. I went to Midway. I went to Fair Park. I went to Southwood. So I basically touched all the major schools at that time. Um, coming up, I really didn't have like too much of a childhood. I wasn't able to do a lot of things that other children was doing at that time because I was born with asthma. And when I was young, it was really bad. And uh, it, was to the, it was to the point to where um, I had to live in a bubble. You know, and I, my mom, I could only be pushed to the patio one and watch all the other kids play because I was allergic to really everything, pollen, dust, smoke, you name it. And uh, I've been on my deathbed a few times because of it, but God wasn't ready for me. Mm -hmm. um, coming up then, you know, um, it was like our neighborhood was like that village, you know. Um, everybody on the street chastised you. You know, your mom didn't have to chastise you when she, when she came home because mm -hmm. everybody on the street did it. I came from a good family. Uh, I just made a lot of, you know, bad decisions, uh, wrong choices by not listening, you know, because when it got to the point that um, I no longer had to live in that bubble, I just kind of ran wild, you know, because it was just like um, you keep a, a lion caged up mm -hmm. for a long time, you know. All he can do is look through the bars. It's just like being in prison. Mm -hmm. When you let him out, what are you gonna do? Oh. He, gonna, he, gonna, he gonna run till he can't run no more. Mm -hmm. He's trying to catch up, but you can't catch up. You know, you just gotta take it one day at a time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, the second question is, what did racism look like back then? And when did you begin to see how race was an issue in your eyes? Race back then is basically just like it is now. You know, you can't take nothing from it. You can't add nothing to it. Um, but I started experiencing it when my mom, even she taught school for 25 and a half years, but she always kept a second job. And she was always doing what needed to be done. But when it came time to promote her, they always promoted someone that was under her that wasn't working as long as she was or know as much as she know, but they'll promote them because they was white and she used to always leave that job, you know, and she would sit us down and explain to us why she left that job. So um, 
basically, you know, she was teaching us what we needed to be taught, you know, the things that we didn't see and what to look out for. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the things that was coming on television at that time that was like number one shows, you know, uh, the Dukes of Hazzard, uh, Archie Bunker, um, the Rifleman, you know, you come all them old type of shows there. Um, but as you got older, you understood, you know, I Dream of Genie. You know, how we used to run as black kids to see those shows, to mm -hmm. watch those shows, you know. But like I said, as you got older, um, you realize, you know, you seen the racism now. Mm -hmm. You know, now I understand. I got that. I, I you actually really got that. Yeah, I got it because I sit down, I watch those shows now. Because mm -hmm. there are, are television broadcasting systems that are giving us access to watch those shows now. So to sit back and watch those shows now, it does kind of tilt you a little bit that, okay, this is literally how the world worked. And having to sit back and swallow it, just really swallow it, like they would say some very disrespectful stuff. And then what else did you pay attention to? Um, I'm going to show you. It was more the comic value. The comic value leaned more towards not the heavy hitting stuff, but just the light stuff. It was more they would, it would be light when they would go at each other. It would be heavy when it was a real issue on the table. That's when they would push the most comic value in those heavy hitting episodes. And um, even with what you were saying with Archie Bonker, when they bought um, George Sherman over there to come on and he played his part in it, to see these t two total diverse people, a white man and a black man, both playing the same role and having to be disrespectful to a race. Mm -hmm. It made me look at the world now in 2022 and say, this is this is what we had to endure? It just supposed to be on TV? Yeah. So it definitely showed that race was always going to be a factor even then. It, it just tied it together now for me. But I want you to go back and I want you to realize and pay attention to Back then, every time you seen a black person that was an actor, mm -hmm. they was either a maid or a butler. Yes. Yes. Definitely. That was definitely something that stood out. Yeah. That was on the Jeffersons. That was one of the main things because they were black, rich people who had a black maid. Yeah. And it's like they had. They could have hired anybody yeah they could have hired anybody they wanted someone black to be yeah. their actual maid yeah. because they related to that actual maid versus having someone of a different race or ethnicity in their home mm -hmm. which made sense but i guess with the world that we live in we didn't want to be so um pc then that we just stuck to what felt good and what sold right. um the next question is, um, we're going to dive a little bit into the story of how you were actually 
frame for the crime. Um, if you could just tell the views a little bit about that particular story leading up to the actual case, in so many words. Well, I just was released February the 11th after serving 25 and a half years for armed robbery of a Applebee's restaurant in Bolgia that the city knew I didn't have to commit. Um, and like you said, if they go and watch the documentary, they would see that also. Mm -hmm. um, how to this day I, I, I still don't know, um, but I was implicated, in other words, um, like used as a pawn to um, stop them from going to prison because I'm not perfect. At that time, I was off into a lot of things um, back then. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, nobody's perfect mm -hmm. and we all make bad decisions. Um, but to go to prison for 25 and a half years for something that you didn't do that really opens your mind and, and I mean to a whole different world, a whole different outlook on life. You know, you, you stop accepting life, you know, uh, you got to accept it for what it is, you know, and not for what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And um, I was found guilty in 1997. My jury came back 10-2. Um, that, that means um, 10 people found me guilty, two, two people, no, they didn't, they, they, there's no way. They didn't believe it, you know. Um, I was given a life sentence, but from my understanding, you know, no one got hurt, no one got killed. Even the two guys that was uh, supposed to have been in that establishment at that time, um, said, in, said in open court that it wasn't me. Um, but like I said, I'm not gonna dive too much into it, but I was given a life sentence. And um, they ended up multi-billing me. I went and did all that time at Angola State Penitentiary. Um, and if you ever hit rock bottom, or you do, you know, if you know how rock bottom feel, mm -hmm. I hit rock bottom. All right, I like that. We're gonna dive more into your story in the next part of your interview. You guys come back with us for part two with Mr. Brandon Jackson. This is a little tea time. I'm Jared, aka Jar Steve. We'll see y'all next time.